This is episode number 59. In this episode, I'm having a conversation with Sasha Berger, partner at TVM Capital. That even if a, um, um, a decision can be made quickly, typically there has been some sort of pre-warming before um, and people have spoken and have validated things. So Dr. Sascha Berger is a partner at TVM Capital based in Munich, Germany. TVM Capital is one of the pioneer transatlantic life science venture capital funds with European and North American teams. In this episode, we talk about how the life science ecosystems evolved in the United States and in Europe, TVM Capital's investment approach, how to reach out to venture capitalists, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation the same way as I did. Enjoy the show. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Life Science Get Together podcast. And today I am very happy to have Sasha Piaga online. Welcome to the show. Super. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Christian. Sasha, I always thought that um, the venture capital investment model is rather a, a fixed model and doesn't change. And the Sequoia article that I read recently which stated that Sequoia changes the fund structure into an evergreen fund and it created a lot of fuss on many podcasts like the Olin podcast. It reminded yeah. me that it's not fixed. So it uh, also has evolutionary processes and evolves with the ecosystem. And yeah. that's why I thought it uh, would be great to learn more from you and your fund. Um, TVM Capital is, uh, in my opinion, one of the oldest funds in life science that is still mm -hmm. active today in North mm -hmm. America and in Europe. And it would be great to start with giving a little bit of background to DVM Capital and what uh, you are doing in the fund. More than happy. And uh, actually, it's a, it's a very good intro given that um, the industry is evolving and so also funds have to adapt to it to a certain degree. And uh, I can speak not necessarily all out of personal experience given that TVM is longer in the business than I am. Um, but uh, also we have gone through different waves of, of what we focused on and, and how we structure investments. Um, so I was also very, very uh, curious to, to see what Sequoia was doing. But um, maybe first, um, let's speak a bit about TVM indeed. So yes. You're absolutely right. Um, we've been around for a long time. Uh, TVM was founded in the early 80s um, here in Munich, where I'm still based, um, and I'm a partner with TVM. Um, I started as a, as a generalist investor, as many funds at the time. Um, so investing broadly, not just in life sciences, but also, but also in, in tech and, and other opportunities. And then in the 90s, um, we uh, realized that just these broad investments don't make any sense. It's, it's very distinct um, um, and, and different business models and qualifications also of the team you need. So we separated teams. One was uh, more focusing on tech investments, the other more on life sciences investments. 
Um, unfortunately, the tech team didn't survive, given that most of the money of, of one of the funds was invested in early 2000. And as we all know, um, that was not the best time for making great returns because just half a year later, <laughs> basically the entire portfolio was... was uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it was, was crashed. So, um, but the life science um, investments um, ever, ever or always worked. So here we are today in, in 2021 investing out of a half a billion dollar fund um, compared to what what some of the peers are fundraising these days this is considered small i have to say mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's a sizable fund and uh, investing in north america and europe in a very specific manner um, but happy to talk about that later yeah, it's very interesting how much money is flowing uh, into the industry currently uh, i think every yeah. Almost every day I read another great story of companies that close their fundraisings with mm-hmm. hundreds of millions and, and also funds uh, sometimes published that they receive billions to yeah. invest, which I think very it's very interesting because when I started with my Life Science Get Together Network uh, to raise more awareness that uh, venture capital is still much needed in Europe to evolve the industry, the numbers were quite quite small uh, back then in 2010 to 2017 and also the ecosystems were different Uh, how does tvm perceive the ecosystems in the us and in europe over the last decades what has evolved in life science in your opinion well um things got more sophisticated i'd say so um that also um, allows different strategies uh, to pursue as a as an investor and um, so as a as a company so um in, initially um there was uh, i would say one path how to succeed um with a create a biotech company uh, then try to ipo it at some point um alternatively that that doesn't work then then sell it to uh, to pharma um and over time, different models have evolved. Uh, so nowadays, and yes, it's, it's still platform plays are super on vogue again, um, given that uh, also the COVID uh, story and the vaccine development show that that new platforms like the, the mRNAs um, can have a significant impact and can be financially attractive, of course, also. Mm-hmm. Um, so platforms are are still are again on vogue. Um, on the other hand, you have specialty um, uh, projects where a single asset um, is pursued. That is what we focus on in, with our fund, uh, not necessarily the platform play, but but really trying to move one individual clinical candidate quickly into the clinic and to a clinical proof of concept and sell that on to pharma. Uh, to build their pipeline, that is a, a valid strategy. Um, then, then you have um, companies who are really being baked very early on with a lot of money, basically out of academia, uh, with with fifty million or a hundred million. Then, if if one of those uh, um, um, killer experiments do work out, um, then then you, they get a lot of money to build a, a whole franchise around an idea. Um, to potentially pub, um, go go public at some point, and and many different forms. So I would say um, there's not just one path to success. 
um, there are multiple uh, ways of of advancing science and uh, and becoming bigger. Um, the common denominator is it, it's all costly indeed, and there's a lot of money um, which is available indeed. Also partially driven, I think, by COVID and the the general reception um, of the of the public that that you can earn a lot of um, of money here in, in in the field of healthcare. Um, and so I really see investors moving into the space who have previously only looked at technology investments where it was uh, proven for the last 10, 15 years that you can earn a lot of money, of course, with, um, with um, uh, yeah, Facebook and, and Google and the likes. Um, but um, this is now also, I think, all vogue uh, to invest in life sciences. Yeah, I think it's... Uh on Vogue since last year to also move in, in that direction. I get also more and more interest from my network, from people who have not invested in life science before and want to understand better how the industry works. So this is one reason why I set up the podcast to open the doors to life science and uh, get proficient people like you here to uh, explain how they see the industry and what the touch points are. I think the involvement, what you said of the, the venture capital industry is very interesting. And when I got my training in merger acquisition, it was um, not life science, but uh, in the other industries, it was always about long-term build companies. Then mm -hmm. I moved into life science. And in 2008, we had another crash. You mentioned the crash in 2000. And everything uh, went uh, in a direction that you explained that is the model of your fund, uh, that you look more towards single asset investments. Mm -hmm. And this was also the reality that I perceived uh, over the last probably five to 10 years, especially here in Europe. And since the pandemic, and I think also in 2019-20, the, the models changed a little bit that more and more funds started uh, came to my awareness that they start uh, looking for technology or for platform technologies to build bigger stories and to create IPOs, especially in the United mm -hmm. States. Do you have the same perception about the involvement of the ecosystem that uh, the, let's say, uh, there are many more options for founders uh, here today than it was uh, about 20 years ago? No, absolutely agree. That's, that's uh, also my perception. Um, and, uh, I think it, it's a great time today to, uh, to advance science, uh, given those multitude of options, but we all know that will change at some point because, um, what's, what's different with life sciences compared to tech is indeed that it still takes long, right? I mean, we, um, just because um, the, the COVID vaccines have been developed in a record time, there's 15 years of, of trial and error before. And it, we were just to a certain degree lucky that at a time where supposedly that platform of mRNAs was ready for, for, um, for success in the clinic. It, I mean, BioNTech and Moderna tried for many years and mm. everything failed. So It's, it's not that uh, there's a new idea, um, a new uh, cancer approach, a new platform, and you see success overnight. So I think that's the, that's the learning curve new investors will have to go through that, unfortunately, opposed to tech, um, uh, it usually takes quite a long time before we see if something really works out. Um, and... Um, 
and and so far I would as a founder just yeah take the take the wave <laughs> try to surf in it as I put in another commentary some time ago now uh, given that there is plenty of money but uh, um, I'm sure that there will be a sorting um, and there will be a lot of failures in the coming years naturally. So um, just having a lot of money available does not mean that you're more successful necessarily um, because biology is dri driving this and, and, and not just the amount of money. Yeah, I think what you mentioned is uh, coming back to uh, Sequoia because you said you would like to know a little bit more about that. Um, what I read on the internet was that Sequoia changes their model from a, a limited time fund like eight to ten years um, where they need then to pay off the LPs mm -hmm. uh, to an evergreen structure, which is open-ended, just one fund. And they invest in the industry or in companies uh, for a minimum of 10 years, but just let it run. And mm -hmm. uh, if you put it together, what I read, uh, they said that the problem is exactly what you described with BioNTech and Moderna, that great companies and great ideas sometimes need one, two or three decades to bring their technology to fruition in a way that it's beneficial for society. Mm -hmm. And uh, the press release uh, read in my eyes exactly in that way. They said, okay, when an LP invests with us, they must be aware that we are in for the long haul. And we go with the founders through each and every single failure and move that forward. How do you see such models? Uh, actually, I, I think it's a great great move for Sequoia. Um, I mean, I admire the, the colleagues. They have done great investments um, over the last 30 years or, or whenever Sequoia was founded. So um, constantly uh, great returns. And that is also the basis for this move now because they have such an amazing portfolio of public companies worth billions of dollars. So they have to do something with this. Uh, they cannot just sell their, their share position because that would dump The, the, the share price. So they had to be creative to a certain degree. And, and, and what they did was, was quite smart, actually. Um, having this, this public portfolio where you can invest in and then they use whatever is generated out of that and, and put it in private companies and, and, and these kind of subsidiary structures. Um, so that's very smart. Um, we'll see if, if that um, works out. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a high, high chance of... of, of um, Uh, of success, but this is not possible for for each and every investor because you need a substantial basis um, of um, of investments already, um, so that with the public portfolio they have, um, um, and you need the trust, of course, of the investors that they stay with you. So if you're a new time fund, um, it's better to show some results relatively early on. Um, given the track record of Sequoia, people are confident to wait for some years because they have just shown to generate returns. So uh, it, this is not a model which can be replicated easily by a lot of other investors. Um, and the evergreen fund structure is a, is a great one, but then you also need very patient investors, a, a lot of um, a big pool of money. Uh, like what you have um, in, in in Denmark uh, with Novo, for example. I mean, they they have an evergreen structure as well. Um, it's great that we have that, but I still think that the majority of of funds um, will have to show their investors 
returns in a in a reasonable time frame, and I don't think that the average um, pension fund or average insurance company or bank will wait 10 or more years to see if their investment worked out or not. I completely agree to what you say. I think we should not forget that that uh, a core principle of investing is to create returns for investors. And also VCs have investors who invest in their fund. Yes. Uh, that the fund managers of the VC funds can then invest in companies that create returns for the VC and the VC can then pay out the returns to their investors. Mm -hmm. um, when I started in the, um, let's say, in the area of before 2015, I sometimes uh, was a little bit, uh, let's say, jealous uh, because of the digital space. So much money was flowing into that. And uh, one mm -hmm. reason was, in my opinion, that... Um, the time to a return is much shorter than in life science. Yeah. And my argument always was, uh, if we had so much capital in life science, uh, then flows to the digital space, we could do a lot of more things. And other people said capital is not really a limiting factor. Um, it also needs other things like great entrepreneurs, skilled teams. And this leads me to my next question to you. Uh, what, in your opinion, is missing in the European ecosystem currently? Is it, do we still have a lack of capital or uh, do you uh, feel that uh, other things should be changed uh, in the framework that we operate in, that the industry has uh, a little bit more push forward? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Well, this is a, a very valid question, but also a constant question for probably, well, the, as, as long as the industry exists, because there's always this gap um, between um, Europe and North America, and that's not just a geographical gap. It's a cultural gap to a certain degree and, and, and the system gap, um, which is is challenging to overcome to certain degrees when it comes to, to culture. I mean, in the U.S., it's just so much more entrepreneurial in general. Uh, it's uh, it's very, very usual um, or okay for, for also top academics to start companies. That is... That is still not the norm in, in Europe. If you speak to, to the super, um, um, uh, well, the, the best research institutes in, in, in Europe, they have clear careers. Those professors, they, they are incentivized to stay on. Um, they, are there. they have lifelong careers with, um, with those institutions. And there is if no incentive, maybe even a disincentive to do something else. So, and that is, that is one element because we have great science. I repeatedly say that, that there's great and basic science in Europe. Um, we certainly are by no means uh, worse than, than also the top institutions in, in North America. 
but the translation into companies is what's missing. And that's a cultural element, as I'm just saying, um, taking risks, um, seeing failures um, is something the North American colleagues are just more, more, um, more familiar with, and that's that's just part of the of the CV, right? You have done something, you tried something, and well, it didn't work, but you learned something. Um, and then that comes with um, with um, financial resources as well. I mean, we all know that, unfortunately, um, uh, success and 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 um, financial power generates additional success and financial power. So if we don't have too many success stories here. Then, then we lack people investing into new um, opportunities. So I really hope that, for example, BioNTech is a is a is a difference here um, because they generate so much money these days, and, and I see that being being dispersed into the ecosystem because they are buying small companies. So a, a friend of mine uh, just sold his, his biotech company from Austria to BioNTech last week, um, and you see that that. With this now also, one success story creates further success story. That's the the whole idea of the of the ecosystem in Boston and um, and Silicon Valley. So maybe we can, to a certain degree, at least replicate that. Um, what we cannot change, Sam, as culture, is that we don't have a Nasdaq. Yeah, um, the, the capital markets in Europe are not as as fluent and um, significant as the U.S. stock markets, and um, frankly, for us as TVM, we we do not discuss that anymore. We just accept the the fact um, as it is, and we'll IPO in at the Nasdaq if if need be. So um, it's 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 an unfortunate situation, um, but um, that's just the reality. So. Um, you can do some more here in the European context. We need more public support. Um, we need more role models, more success stories like BioNTech or others. Um, and we can certainly and will we'll, um, have successes here. Um, but I fear um, that there's just a gap and there will always be a certain gap to, to North America. I couldn't agree more. I think the... BioNTech model is great and it looks also to me that money is flowing back into the ecosystem. So every billion directed to people like the founders of BioNTech who love science and to move science forward, I think is uh, money well invested because uh, they do what they need to do and they start purchasing smaller companies and this helps to evolve the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I also see it similar like you do with the Nasdaq. I think in, especially in North America, there are much more follow-on funds so that invest in listed companies like ARC funds, for example, Kathy Wood. Mm -hmm. um, she's also going for European companies, but when I look at your fund structure, I think 90 or 95% of your investments are Nasdaq listed. And uh, I think uh, probably this should encourage European companies also to look towards the Nasdaq when they want to have such an exit. Um, one point you mentioned that I find very interesting, the failure culture. I mean, uh, failure culture, I think, is something that makes scientists perfect entrepreneurs. Uh, really? As far as I understand science, uh, failure and making experiments uh, is part of the scientific process. And I think this mindset is necessary for tech startups to also approach a tech startup in that way to say, okay, I mean, we try it out, we try things and what work, what, what works we keep and then we approach investors. And 
I think this is one of the, the, the crucial things that I'm interested to hear your opinion. Um, approaching investors, I didn't know much about it when I started in life science in 2006, and I'm pretty sure I made every single failure myself or every <laughs> single mistake myself. In your opinion, when a scientist starts a company, um, what does the scientist need to know uh, what his company or her company must have that it becomes an attractive target for a VC? How does uh, such a company look like? What are you looking for? Well, um, first, I would say, uh, first and foremost, the understanding that you're hardly bringing everything to the table yourself. Um, and there's different people, knowledge, know-how, which you uh, which should be added to that. So that this uh, genius founder um, who has uh, uh, a Nobel Prize-like uh, invention and who can build a company of a, a thousand staff, uh, IPO that at NASDAQ, found the next company with the next Nobel Prize-winning uh, research, that's a rare breed. So, um, and but that's okay. So um, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and it's just important to understand where our strengths are and the weaknesses is something um, the team can uh, can um, that can compensate. So, if I meet people um, who are so self confident. Uh, that they can do everything by themselves, and that's typically a challenging start. Unless, as I'd say, that there's this genius, but as we all know, geniuses are rare. Um, so, um, and, and well, I mean, if they bring that uh, with them um, and, or if, if they're open to, to listen so that, that we can help um, those teams or those founders generate or uh, create a, a company, that's to be seen. But I mean, there are different different ways. Um, we, we started with a single asset model in, in that situation as we um, where we focus on, we don't even need a full team. We just need the idea and we bring everything to the table from our network. Um, but if you're if you want to create your own small little pharma company, um, of course, then then you should um, you should come with uh, with a good set of of qualifications and and different people who have shown in the past that they can uh, they can create a, a company and run a company. Um, besides the the scientific brilliance, which of course is the basis and the foundation for all these life science ventures. Which is slightly different than tech, right? Where um, also you need need good ideas, but um, maybe that execution is even more relevant. Execution is one one element in, in life sciences, but without scientific brilliance, it's just a me too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Science and team, I think, is uh, the two key uh -huh. parts uh, that make a great company, and I think also growth potential. How do you see it in TVM? Uh, this uh, when I look for investments uh, on the public markets, I'm looking for 10x stories or 100x stories, uh, which are not so easy to to grasp oh. at the beginning. Like you said, in 2000, there were many Amazons, but only one survived. Uh, what is the growth potential that TVM is looking for? Well, I mean, in that regard, we are 
not very different to the other investors. Um, in general, we are, we are looking for, for breakthrough um, signs and hence a, a 10x plus return. Um, but we are also okay um, to have smaller returns if we invest at later stages. So it, um, if at that point um, a company has shown that it can develop a technology that has potentially even brought it to market successfully and then is now looking for, for growth financing, uh, which is important and, and, and risky in itself. Um, not necessarily scaling a business is, is uh, just, uh, just easy, uh, but this is a different risk portion compared to starting afresh with an, with an idea and no proof yet that this is going to work out. So, of course, also the return expectation is different for these, for these investments. That's great. Um, it, lead me, it leads me to one question. When people reach out to me uh, from, from founders of companies or companies that uh, want to do a Series A or Series B, uh, I ask one question. So how long is your runway? And sometimes uh, people say, yeah, okay, two weeks. And then I say, okay, I think it's a little bit challenging to raise money in two weeks and uh, get sometimes the response, why? I mean, uh, you know, investors, they have money and... Uh, It just needs to hook us up and money flows to our bank account. Uh, can you shine a little light on the reality of VC processes, how they work and uh, how much time someone should implement in their strategy to make sure that they don't run out of money before the VC process closes? So probably those, those people who have that idea are misled by the few um, super success stories um, often on, on the other side of the Atlantic, right? Where, where Mark Zuckerberg is, is running around and, and telling that he has this great idea of, of, of Facebook and um, people just uh, try to, to be part of that first round where it's little more than, than, than a PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are these situations uh, where it, it, it's clear that this is, real innovation and it's one of a kind and uh, um, there's just one chance to invest. But even in that situation, um, people are typically part of an ecosystem where they have met before, where they have credible, um, uh, credible contacts who can tell that this is not just some, some spooky idea on a, on a PowerPoint, but that there's real substance behind. So that's what people tend to oversee that, that even if a, um, um, a decision can be made quickly, typically there has been some sort of pre-warming before um, and people have spoken and have validated things. So um, to answer their question more, more precisely, it, usually an investment process takes weeks and months. Um, to get comfortable with ideas and with the team and um, and the risks associated with that. Um, and if you then just pull the trigger, that might be something which can be can be relatively quick, um, but um, that, that's a rare situation. And in particular, if you're running out of money, then, then you get nervous, of course, because if you don't have a check, and well, then what, what do you do, right? Either you get some sort of, of bridge or, or you have to file for insolvency and, and, and that's then the end of the story. So 
I would never ever um, um, recommend to founders um, to um, to take that lightheartedly and and just go out and say that will just be a, a matter of a few days or weeks. Um, there's one saying which says um, um, if you or or the, the day you have raised um, around the next fundraising starts. And exactly that's true. So I, I have many, many people I'm in, I'm, I'm speaking frequently to who, um, who are not raising the next round, but who keep me updated what's going on. Um, so that when they actually decide to, um, to raise a new fund, a lot of discussions have happened already. And then this can be shorter, of course. And the same we do with our investors. I do not just go out and say, okay, here's the, the new fund. Um, we need money now, please invest. But of course, I mean, there's, there's a warming. Um, they are informed of how the current fund is performing, uh, when we potentially raise a new fund. So we even um, get slots in, in their own budgets. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a long term play here. Uh, I want to highlight what you said uh, as a final question a little bit more, and uh, ask the question again. Um, there, are, in my opinion, there are two philosophical schools on the market. Let's call it that way. So okay. early in my career, I heard um, never reach out to VCs unless you have something to sell. So um, don't go out on the market. Do your thing. Uh, put the presentation together and uh, assume that it takes six to 12 months to raise a round. And then you go out to VCs and uh, you make the first contact. Let's call it that way, like Star Trek. So uh, it's like uh, going to a new planet and uh, meeting new people. The other school says uh, successful fundraising is all about relationship management. So you should go out on the market and uh, talk to VCs, uh, get to know them, learn to understand their position on the market, uh, what they are looking for. And eventually, when you are the right match, uh, the process will flow automatically, organically in the direction that uh, it's basically a no-brainer for VC to invest in a company when there is a good fit between the two parties. Um, what is your recommendation to founders? How should they approach uh, this situation to reach out to VCs? What's your opinion? Actually, for me, these are not two separate, um, separate ways of handling things, but just looking at the at the same thing from from different sides so both sides of the coin if you will because of course how to get attention if you don't have anything to say or if you don't have have a story or have have data or something meaningful um and in particular if, if you go out and say okay um just here fyi we have an interesting story but you're not raising funds in the next four years okay that might be not the best <laughs> the best uh, strategy to, to catch my attention because then why should I meet with somebody where, where I don't see any, any prospect of investing in the next four years. Um, but typically there is some, some, something to, to tell. Um, and, and then you keep indeed the relationship. Say, okay, this is the data. This is what we have today. Um, this looks super great, but uh, we want to generate additional data to even um, um, yeah, uh, make the story more round or, or de-risk for the steps. And what do you think would be a next good step? Um, 
this is our idea. How do you see that? Um, and then come back uh, three months later. Now we have generated the data. This is this is how you how you generate interest and and create relationships. And indeed, as you say, then once once uh, the the day zero is is there to to raise additional funds, then then you have a, a much better basis. Um, and uh, and it's it's not happening overnight. So I would say both. Both uh, situations you described are actually um, true in a certain sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Progress is always great in a company and uh, starting building relationships early probably helps um, to close the rounds a little bit quicker than uh, implementing it um, in the fundraising directly to uh, also needs to overcome this, uh, let's say, phase of uh, getting to know each other first. Sasha, thank you very much for your time. And the great conversation. I enjoyed it very much. And uh, maybe we can catch up in a couple of months um, and uh, see what came out of our conversation. Absolutely. I would love to. Unfortunately, this time I was a bit uh, handicapped with my voice, uh, given the, um, the, uh, the cold season. But uh, I'd love to indeed um, follow up, maybe during summertime or while. So thank you very much, Christian, for the opportunity. It was a, was a great and discussion and uh, let's see how all the world evolves around us um i'm sure we have a lot of uh, discussion points next time as well i'm i agree with that have a great day thank you so much bye thanks for listening please please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed have a great day mm -hmm.